0: Welcome back once again to the weekly Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are hitting you now with our review show. We're going to be covering the 7th of July releases. So releases pretty much from two weeks ago. So as ever, this will be spoiler filled. Although we might not be able to be too spoiler filled because one of our favorite titles hasn't been read by our guest today. But we'll get to that. So your host as always, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. I'm joined as always by Mr. Marvel himself. Keith,
1: good evening, sir. How are you? I am dead on. I hope you've been enjoying the lovely weather we've been having across the country this year. Uh, me being down in uh, County Meath, north of Dublin, and you being up in Belfast. Has it been as good up there?
0: It has, yeah. I mean, we uh, we kept being told on Saturday how beautiful it was for everybody who came into the store. We didn't get much of a chance then, but we took advantage of it yesterday, so we did. And then Vicky's birthday today, so I made sure she, she got an hour or two in the sun, dandering about the town while we bagged and boarded and so forth. But yeah, the weather's been insane. I mean, I think we reached brand new records being hit and everything uh, in so, Northern Ireland. So, so. so, yeah,
1: which which doesn't necessarily mean much given the weather here normally. But I think it hit something like thirty something degrees. Did it not in the middle of the country? Yeah, you you just see
0: a lot of uh, PSD white people becoming you know deep red people. You don't see any tan <laughs> people or anything like that. But we 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 tend to crisp up rather than tan in this uh, in this um, part of the uh, world.
1: And just on that, Alan, as well, a very hearty happy birthday to Vicky. Uh, we haven't heard her voice in the podcast for a long time, but uh, very, very present in the store as always. And uh, and uh, although I, uh, I didn't see her, I hope she has a has a fantastic birthday. Yeah, I'll
0: certainly pass on your regards. Although you know you'll be able to say that to her in person when we you know, pull the very adult thing of double dating this uh, Saturday. Jesus, I feel like I'm 20 again. I can not tell you how long ago that was. But yeah, Vicky's actually off all this week. So you're going to be seeing a lot more of both of us in the store this week. So, but yeah, so that was Keith. And yes, indeed, we are joined by a third voice today. So you may have heard us, you know, questioning his taste from time to time, but also complimenting his taste as well when it comes in. So uh, he usually gets a shout out on this pod at some point, you know, one of the Longtime regulars and stalwarts of the store were joined this evening by Stephen. Good evening, and how are you?
2: Hello, I am fine. That's a, it's very nice introduction.
0: Not, not quite the level of Bush. intro I've been given to some of our, you know, creator owned guests. But I should say Stephen is a fantastic artist in his own right, as he, you know, presented me one time with a Batman fifty blank variant with a uh, a sketch on it that would put Tom King's scribbles to shame.
1: <laughs> not the, uh, not the first time
2: you've been on the pod either, Stephen. Is it? Oh, it's been a while, you know, back before we had this, uh, this setup, this, you know, more professional setup with the, with
1: everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it was back in the, back in the uh, maybe late 20s or early 30s. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, and we're sitting here uh, up in the, up in the 150s now, but uh, yeah, nice to, nice to have you back, sir. Nice to have you back. It's, It's good to be back.
0: Yeah, we've brought Stephen on predominantly because he's going to be the one-man Jed McKay advertising team, probably, and uh, also advocate why everybody out there should be reading Black Cat and Black Cat-adjacent titles. But we'll get to that certainly in due time. So, as I say, we'll be chatting about the 7th of July releases, but, you know, before that we'll always jump into a little bit of chat about everything in the comic TV movie world recently. So, Comics-wise, there was a little bit of a disappointing announcement this week that sort of came in a little quietly, a bit too quietly for my liking. Uh, Just really shared through Twitter, uh, although I would imagine we'll probably get updates in the previews books and so forth. But as anyone who listens to this pod knows, we're obviously huge fans of a certain uh, DC artist, Mr. Clay Man, of course, worked for Marvel as well. You know, great time we had when we had him over to the store and we, we stay in touch with him. And of course his sort of uh, big masterpiece was going to be Batcat and he was going to draw all 12 issues. It was going to be one of those mini slash maxi series that had the same artist the whole way through. So it was somewhat surprising to see during this week that there is going to be a guest artist for a couple of issues. I believe it's going to be issues 7, 8 and 9. And then Clay will be coming back at 10. He's already uh, finished off 6 as well. And it's not like it's a bad artist. Like Liam Sharp is a fantastic artist that Stephen will certainly attest to me with. But... It was just a little bit of a jarring uh thing to to be announced and it may have even swayed one of our uh reviewers today to maybe even step away from that would that be correct mr miller
1: that it's certainly it's certainly a consideration Alan i mean well the first consideration is i think we all hope that uh that clay is doing all right uh and that uh you know there's nothing there's nothing wrong with him or or in his in his sphere his circle that has caused them to to step off the book for for those three uh, those three issues um, so that's that's first and first and foremost but but yeah I mean with the book being delayed specifically so that that clay could put the time in to finish the the, the whole series to the to the, the best of his, his ability that he wanted to do his, his considerable ability it's very disappointing I mean and I've got absolutely you know all due respect to to all of the creators involved but it's it's just very disappointing news whether whether it's you know studio interference, as they would say, or, or, or something else, I just I don't know. It's too. If if this was sort of the end of a like an arc, and uh, you know Liam Sharp was drawn three issues, and, and then we were going on to another arc, that would be all right. But the you know it seems to be just one continuous story, and that that's just too jarring a change for me. And if that's the case, I'll maybe you know I'll maybe take the first six issues and then uh, and then uh, step off. Uh, Potentially, what's your thoughts on it? I know Stephen and I had been had been riffing on it a wee bit on the on the store chat, but I haven't heard your I haven't heard your take on it. My own personally, yes, yeah, it's 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 hard not to feel
0: disappointed. Again, it's as you say, you hope that everyone involved is you know healthy and there's nothing bad behind the scenes, anything like that, but. You know, it's obviously a title we push very heavily. It's a title that we have a little bit of an attachment to, with, you know, the you know, it was almost announced just as Clay was coming to the store that he was going to be mm. the mainline artist and you know, we've chatted to him since and and the sales have been great on it. You know, it it, it has been a slightly slower paced story, but I think as you and I are definitely realising, Keith, certainly with Rorschach and with Strange Adventures, the the more you read Tom Keane, the more you know to stick with it because you know it's going to sort of improve as it all comes together. And part of that is the art though as well you know rorschach Mm -hmm. Jorge Fornes, the whole way through strange adventures made the the interesting choice to have evan doc shaner and mitch dredds on at all times so they were able to split the load as well so i don't know it it, it is disappointing but it's disappointing from the point of view of i just love clay's art and would have loved to have seen
1: the whole series in his inks yeah it's i mean it's i'm there for the for the tom king story and the clayman artwork and you know those are two halves of the, of the whole with one half gone i just don't know if i'm if i'm in anymore what do you reckon stephen personally i'm conflicted i same as yourselves you know the 12 issues
2: tom king writing clayman on art it's you know something that, that happens very rare that you have the one continuous creative team on on a series it's but it's more common for this kind of series i love liam Sharp's artwork i think he's fantastic. You know, going way back to the old 2000 AD Gears of War stuff, the rebirth Wonder Woman. I think he draws a definitive Wonder Woman. His Batman, Brave and the Bold with Wonder Woman. I think he draws a great Batman. I know you're not convinced on Batman Reptilian because it's taken more of a, a um, different um, style, yeah, almost of art. an
0: abstract type style,
2: almost mm-hmm. abstract. More, I believe is he painting Batman yeah. Reptilian? I think it's it's paintings. Yeah. And, you know, like we've seen at the end of his Green Lantern run, and I personally think he's a fantastic artist, so I'm very conflicted in that I love Clay and I would like to see the the streamline of the one art, but at the same time, if you're going to... If you need a fill-in replacement for a couple of issues, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better artist.
1: Mm. I mean, I guess, I guess the comment that was made was that, you know, he's not... Uh, with Clay being as good as he is, Liam... Liam Sharp isn't gonna try and, and, and mimic that or follow it. He's he's gonna be doing stuff in, in more of the the brutalist style that he says his, his art has been evolving into. And if that, you know, in in his latest work, if that's if that's reptilian, then that's not gonna be in any way, shape, or form a match. No.
0: Yeah, I think what anyway, Stephen
1: says is correct. If you look
0: at sort of his Green Lantern stuff, it was yeah. uber detailed, but it was very superhero y and if it's that style of art that he uses, I think that it'll it'll slot in relatively well I mean I as you know anybody again who listens to this knows when I when we reviewed Reptilian a few weeks ago like the art for me is one of the strongest selling points but I would also agree that I don't think that style of art would work for this story following six issues of what we already had you know but well if nothing else you know Liam Sharp's already got plenty of money out of t- two thirds of this pod today anyway because both Steve and I both backed his Kickstarter for his, his art book and holy moly that guy loves to put out updates I can tell you I, I personally wouldn't step away from it, but again, that's the Batman fan. I am mean, I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I'm, you know, a full, fully paid up member of the, the Tom King cult, so I'll still be there for uh, for all 12 issues. I'll just look forward to Keith jumping back on at issue 10 when Clay returns and going, what's going on though? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but as I say, I mean, we'll probably learn a wee bit more about it as time goes on, and certainly the... Uh, With the new previews book being due for release as well, I'm sure it'll obviously have it solicited in there that it's going to be Liam Sharp taking it over. So, I mean, on previews just in general, I mean, we're obviously recording this on the 19th of July, and it's a case of the previews order for this month uh, is due by this coming Friday. So that is going to be the releases for September. There is a rather nice detailed podcast breaking down those books that Keith and I put out a couple of weeks ago, so definitely jump on to that. Let us know if there's any new additions uh to the pool list any titles you're interested in as always the sooner we know the better it just means we're 100% confirmed but As well as that, uh, when the previews order is due, that always means the new solicitations are coming out because, let's be honest, the comic market is relentless. It just never stops, never sleeps. And DC, strangely, probably for the first time ever, beat Marvel to the punch this month and actually released their solicitations about a week earlier. So keep an eye out. We'll definitely do our usual previews pod for that month uh, coming up. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the, the previous books arrive next week on say the, the delivery twenty sixth of July and and as ever we'll be there to break it all down for you. So so that's pretty much it in the terms of the comics world, but plenty to chat about in the T V movies slash comics world, I suppose. Uh there was first of all a little promo drop this week. It's sort of the first teasery look at a adaptation that I am, you know, personally bricking it on. Uh, uh I have been hurt too much recently. <laughs> I have had some of my favorite titles hung out to dry, shall we say. Rest in peace, deadly class. Uh, but the first promo dropped this, or I think it was last week, for Why The Last Man. Now, thankfully, they've put The Last Man back in the title. There was rumors for a while they were just going to do Why. But this is one I also lent to you not that long ago, Keith, and you're you've now fully read up on this as well.
1: Oh yeah, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed that. That was a fantastic story. Um, very very much enjoyed it. And I, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to the. We haven't seen much, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the the TV show. I mean, you know what? The book's the book. They can. It's it's always going to be the book, and it'll always be what we value. So it doesn't matter what they do with the TV show in a way. It's not going to affect that. And I think we sometimes go. You know, whenever we're talking about you know, the last three Star Wars movies, destroying the, you know, this and that. No, that doesn't change the first, you know, the original classic Star Wars movies, you know, but likewise, you know, this TV show, be it good, be it bad, will not impact upon the, the book. So I don't think you have to worry about bricking it too much, Um but... I, th-
0: I think it's more just from the point of view of, I obviously want more and more people to discover this story. So Why the Last Man, again, it's my personal favorite comic of all time. And if it's a really good adaptation, then that brings, that steers people towards the source material. But if it's a bad adaptation, you know, and it's not very critically received, that maybe means if people see it in bookstores or in comic book stores, they might look at it and go, oh, there's what that bad TV show is based on. Mm. I think it's more that, you know, I, I know what an absolute masterclass in storytelling it is. Uh-huh. And you know i direct as many people towards it as i can but that that's more what i mean by my fear you know it's because because the thing with the deadly class adaptation in a weird way it's perfect for comic book stores because the deadly class adaptation was superb and it was close enough to the comics that someone could literally walk in tomorrow and go i watched the whole first season but then it just ended and i could literally pull out issue 11 and go start here you're good to go so 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 in a weird way it actually is perfect for it, but yeah, uh, hopes are high, hope it's good, but I agree with you all day Keith, I mean people who you know, maybe put too much stock in it where it's like this ruined everything, no, those books will always be there, those books are eternal, so there's nothing to worry about from that point of view.
1: I mean the soundtrack for that trailer couldn't have been better chosen, This is a Man's World by James Brown, the godfather of soul, I mean if that doesn't get you, I don't know what will.
0: I mean, that was good, but I much preferred your comment to, uh, I think it might have been Patty actually. I was like, oh, I haven't heard of any of that cast. And I was like, you haven't seen Juice South, Paul Grossman, come on.
1: Yeah, it was nice to see uh, Fraser Benton again, I have to say. Benton Fraser, rather.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye for that anyway. That's due in the next month or two, uh, kicking things off. But a couple of big things did drop in the last week, uh, or a little bit more than the last week, I suppose. But we're all fully up to date on a a couple of big Marvel projects, on a a big Marvel movie release and a big Marvel TV release. So what do we want to talk about first here, gentlemen? You choose Steven since you're the guest.
2: It's going to have to be Black Widow.
0: Black Widow, of course. So Black Widow finally launched uh, about 10 days ago to quite big fanfare, big box office, uh, pretty solid critical acclaim, I would say. Uh, I believe Stephen was the first to see it. Uh, Vicky and I got to see it last week. We closed up the store on Saturday after a busy day and just headed straight to the cinema. And then I believe you saw it over the weekend as well, Keith. So why don't you kick us off, Stephen? What were your thoughts on Black Widow then?
2: One of the best Marvel movies. I don't know if it was... We went a year and a half we know with the Marvel television shows, we'd know movies. You know, the television shows are integral to the MCU, but the MCU was built on these movies. You know, this is what we want to see. And I know one of the biggest criticisms are, Oh, it's came too late. This movie should have been out years ago. You know, this is not a story we need now, we needed this before. It's the prequel. There's never a wrong time to tell a prequel. It done a very good job of filling in the blanks between Civil War and Infinity War, but at the same time with enough throwbacks to the origins of Black Widow and the Red Room, how she got to be there, how she's came to be where she is and everything in between. Yeah, what about yourself, Keith? You just uh you saw it last
0: night, was
1: it? Yeah, I saw it last night, so it's fairly it's fairly fresh. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um yeah, I mean it was the the I guess the, the odes to uh, james bond were very much in there whenever we see uh, natasha watching a james bond movie in her trailer at the start they're 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 laying their cards on the table going this is uh, if you like james bond you'll like this uh you know so it was very much that uh you know it was that espionage the closest we would have to it in the marvel movies at the minute would be captain america winter soldier you know with regard to that you know spy espionage sort of side of things so yeah, I thought they did a. I thought they did a great job. Um, uh, as you say, enough of of uh, the backstory that that Natasha has uh, talked about throughout the movies. Dreykov's daughter. Uh, what happened in Budapest? You remember Budapest very differently than I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, all of those sorts of things were uh, were fantastic. I thought Florence Pugh played a fantastic role uh, as uh, as Yel- y- Yelena Belova, who is an established. Uh, character in the in the marvel comics um yeah i i there's the, the action was phenomenal i thought it was in some ways the most brittle of the movies so far because the action the way that those that those people all of them were thrown about the place and you know was unbelievable <laughs> and uh, you know uh, so yeah and and they're all uh they're all you know there was there wasn't anybody who was particularly superhuman there was some remark of uh yeah, I bet the I uh, bet the space god doesn't have to take other role after a after a fight. <laughs> you know? so, yeah, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it yourself, Alan.
0: Yeah, I I I worry that it's maybe recency bias because it's it's the first movie we've seen in the year and a half or so forth. But damn, it, it was just such a good time for me. It, it sneaks into top five very quickly. But I'm I'm a sucker for spy genre in general. And if you're going to wear your influences on your sleeve, you can do certainly worse than, you know, peak era Bond. I mean, they even had Roger Mercy. They they knew. They put the best James Bond on the TV that she was watching. But I thought the cinematography was incredible. See some of the real world locations, uh, some of the aerial shots. Um, I thought that it was brilliantly cast. I thought it had tons of heart, uh, a lot of humor, mostly from Florence Pugh and... And from a, a scenery chewing, scene stealing David Harbour as well as Red <laughs> Guardian, uh, give me my Red Guardian TV show or movie now, please, because he uh-huh. was fantastic as well.
1: And but, uh, given that, uh, given that that offhand comment, it has to include the Crimson Dynamo. Yeah.
0: yeah i just i absolutely adored it i thought it was it was just fantastic fun great to see a marvel movie again i have zero problem with with the timing of it coming out i think it's fun sometimes to fill in the jigsaw and and it rewards how you've paid attention over the years to these marvel movies because you're sitting watching it going oh that's what they were talking about or that's what they were talking about but at the same time it very much just stands on its own as well uh i thought the the one thing and i don't know because i don't know enough about the character People always like to complain about something because it's the world we live in. If I had to guess if people are going to complain about something, and again, this is not me because I know nothing about the character, I don't know how Taskmaster was handled. If that's anywhere close to Taskmaster in the comics, I, I give the floor to our resident Marvel expert. Keith, you can fill us in on this without, of course, too many spoilers.
1: Well, I mean, they're, without, without any sort of spoilers, I guess, very the The identity of the person behind the mask of Taskmaster was very, very different in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe than it, than it has been in the Marvel Comics universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had absolutely. I mean, I'll not go into to to Taskmaster. Taskmaster's a a character who's been around for a long time. Um, was originally introduced as an Avengers villain in uh, I think it was 1980, maybe there thereabouts. Um, jed mckay recently did a taskmaster series didn't he Stephen? was that jed mckay five issue five issue miniseries yeah yeah so so he's been about i mean taskmaster it was originally originally uh david uh, david michellini and george perez created him um and you know the same the same power set the you know the the he's a he's a physical mimic so he would mimic captain america's fighting style or daredevil's fighting style or, or or whatever um so there's so yeah very 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 different in some respects but but the the core of the character i think to some extent was the as the, the same you know and i think this this version worked very very well with the with the story uh so i wasn't i wasn't in the least wee bit uh the least wee bit bothered and i guess if i'm not bothered i don't see who anybody else should be
0: yeah but you uh you underestimate people's irrationality in comparison to your own you know rationality so and, and in terms of the story it, it worked perfectly it's just again it's not a character i'm familiar with and i sort of got the feeling that they maybe twisted it a little bit which again worked perfectly for the story yeah you know how people like to complain about these things so i was just genuinely curious it's just not a character i know much about but well you, used
1: i thought i thought the physicality of taskmaster was threatening uh you know the and just the, the wee moves that you saw i mean there was there was one point where he was mimicking Black Panther. I thought was class, and then there was he did Captain America shield kick, you know, from the floor to the to the arm was was brilliant. There was yeah, so I thought they I thought they, they cried that off brilliantly. If you watch that, you will see moves that that different heroes have done throughout the movies, mimicked by Taskmaster. And if you're, you know, I, I sort of enjoy that physicality, you know, from a martial arts point of view, and and uh, you know, through all this, you know, some of Batman stuff as well, you know. So I'm really interested, and sometimes you'll just see those those movements, you know, and you go, "Oh, that was such and such. Oh, that was such and such." So, yeah, very cool, very cool. And uh, the stinger was brilliant. I really enjoyed the stinger uh, as well, the after credits scene, but uh, a nice link to a a recent Marvel TV show. Very much so. It's
0: uh, stay around for the end credits, as if you're not well versed in this by now, of course. No mid credits scene, but there is a. a- a post-credits scene that is more than worth sticking around for, and as case, says, sort of sets up something in the Marvel TV universe rather nicely as well. So, yeah, all in, I think, very positive across the board here, and uh, I think I'll actually catch it a second time in the cinema, to be honest, because it, it, allu- it was just great to be back inside a cinema watching a quality movie, so fantastic stuff. But the other thing, of course, that uh, ended last week was Loki reached its finale, so episode six of six. This is pretty essential viewing if you want to know what's about to happen in the Marvel universe, to say the least. I mean I think you were saying this to me, Stephen, that you know, there's there's obviously stuff from One Division, you know, setting up Scarlet Witch, there's stuff from Falcon Winter Soldier setting up the new um setting up the new Winter Soul or the new Captain America with Sam. But this was definitely the first that was hundred percent essential viewing.
2: One hundred percent, I think. I remember we had a conversation whenever Disney, whenever Marvel revealed the lineup at the Disney Expo for the TV shows and the Phase Four movies. And personally, I had a a worry that not everybody is is into comic books, follows comic book movies as religiously as we do, and maybe they would they go to the movies, but they're not really interested in the TV shows side of things. If that makes sense. there's going to be people who go to see Black Widow, they haven't seen One Division, they haven't seen Falcon, Winter Soldier, they haven't seen Loki, they'll go and watch the next movie, Shang-Chi, they'll follow the movies. This was a pretty important series to the MCU as a whole. I I had a conversation with you guys last week how, you know, for a while, I don't know if it was COVID having a year and a half off or if it was just the way communication was in general. It didn't feel... You know, Marvel spent ten years building towards Infinity War, whereas at the minute it didn't feel like they were building towards anything. So now with the TV shows, they've started to show the the foundations being built, and I feel like Loki okay, they just shot a building up in one episode.
0: Literally in episode five.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I think this was this was phenomenal. I mean, obviously the uh, the big the big, the big point was the the introduction of the character that Jonathan Majors plays. You know, news that uh, that Jonathan Majors has been recruited by the MCU to play Kang the Conqueror. Uh, however, I don't think we saw Kang the Conqueror in this particular episode of Loki. He does go by many names.
0: Conqueror. He does go by many names. <laughs> little, little, tease, little tease, if nothing else, yeah. but you were saying it was a different character.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, they're setting up Kang the Conqueror to be the next, the next big bad of the of the next phase of the or the next couple of phases or whatever of the of the MCU. Um, and uh, I mean, he's a he's a, a time a time traveling, uh, multi universal conqueror, you know. But he was originally a scientist from the 31st century, as this character was. But Kang has many has many aliases uh, throughout throughout his very long uh, and storied history. He first appeared as Ramatut in Fantastic Four, as a Pharaoh, uh, you know, in Fantastic Four in 1963. He then appeared as Kang uh, in 1964, and we learned a wee bit of his background and and who he had been and so forth. And later he appears as Immortus, and uh, Immortus is kind of a future version of Kang, possibly an older version who wars against his his previous, uh, his previous self. Um, Kang in the comics is involved with the Time Variance Authority. Kang also uh, another, uh, I guess, alias of Kang is Iron Lad, who was a member of the Young Avengers, who brought the Young Avengers together. And interestingly, an alter ego of Kang, Mortis, is Nathaniel Richards, who is the father of a certain Marvel Universe super scientist.
0: Maybe another segue into how you bring in the Fantastic Four, then, is what you're
1: saying. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. So, so yeah, pretty, uh, pretty interesting stuff. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, what about yourself? I know you had some, uh, you, you thought that it was a great episode, but not necessarily a great episode of Loki.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, episodes four and five were undoubtedly the strongest of the Loki season. You know, it's, uh, you know, introducing the different variants of Loki and some cases working together. I thought that episode five looked far better and was far more exciting and action packed than any TV show has any right to be. I thought episode five was absolutely incredible. I enjoyed episode six, but not necessarily as an episode of Loki. But in terms of what they're setting up, it was fantastic, and it, it now makes sense that What If is the next TV show. It now makes sense for the multiverse of madness. It now, it's almost like those boys have a plan. You know, it's like Kevin Feige <laughs> knows what he's doing. So yeah, it was I really enjoy? I mean, for me. I think of the the TV shows so far, Falcon Winter Soldier stands out to me as the best. But again, I'm a sucker for the spy genre. One uh, Division, again, personally, I thought was a little long, but lots of good stuff in it. Uh, but Loki, yeah, I thought was great as well, and it was it was lovely to see it renewed for a season two because I think out of all the shows so far, it's the one that would benefit from a season two because there's so much to play with. Yeah, no, season two of look I think it'll be class, but it, it probably appeals to you boys just as much as well because, as everyone keeps calling it, it's the best Doctor Who TV show never made. So, yeah, so that's pretty much the TV and slash movie news uh, taken care of. So we'll move on then to some comics. Uh, so, again, we are looking at the 7th of July releases. So a pretty big week this week for me, uh, especially given that... Uh, my indie pile is just getting out of control at the moment to be honest with you so i had 30 titles in total this week so for that it was eight dc uh four marvel titles at least it's up on last week keith uh 17 indie titles and then i had one deluxe hardcover which was the absolutely glorious collection of uh, scotty young and jorge corona's middle west what about yourself keith what were your totals?
1: I am sitting on 24 titles, so you're back with a crown there, Alan, uh, yes. by, by six titles. Uh, I had six DC titles, seven Marvel titles, and 11 indie titles, so it's, the same, it's a similar sort of a balance. You know, my indie always seems to be scooting ahead of everything else. Uh, what about yourself, Stephen? I had 14 titles in total, three DC, three Marvel, and eight
2: indie titles.
0: Look at that perfect balance for DC and Marvel, three of each. I think your pull list is one of the ones in store that is really well balanced when it comes to DC and Marvel. There's, there's always, you know, one that sways in one direction or the other, but yours is actually pretty pretty tight, I would say. But yeah, we're going to be focusing on the 7th of July releases again. And again, there will be spoilers throughout here, but you know we'll, we'll keep them to a minimum anyway, even though we say we, we're going to do this two weeks delayed and not spoil anything. So. But yeah, we'll do our honorable mentions first, uh, as ever, go through the DC, go through the Marvel, and go through the Indie finally, and then we'll jump on to picks of the week. So we are going to kick things off with a book we can't spoil an awful lot of because a certain person is waiting for trade we would not ruin this book for anybody because it is that good and to be honest this is probably going to be on our list pretty much every issue but we are of course talking about the nice house on the lake number two from james tinney in the fourth and our art by alvaro martinez bueno and the ever popular jordi belair on colors tell us about nice house on the lake
1: keith Ah, this is one that i'm just completely completely in love with and and every every the end of every issue and the that's only been the case in twice now. Uh, I'm just anticipating the next the next book. I mean it. It felt like you know if the end of the first issue was like smacking you in the face with this like punch that just defined uh, you know defined the, the 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 whole concept of the book. It's like at the start of this issue, we're st- sitting up with our head spinning, only to look around and try and figure out what's going on. So exactly like the characters in the book in some way yeah
0: i mean for me this is definitely one of the strengths of the book you know there's there's always certain stories that you know more than the characters so some of the tension comes from knowing what's lurking around the corner that kind of thing it's it's a well-worn trope in movies and comics and books any any sort of thing but with nice house in the lake we're essentially learning information at the same rate as the characters we're no more clued in than they are and that just keeps the intrigue really high and the page turning of course
1: yeah i mean the uh, Bueno's art is phenomenal and uh, you know captures both the uh, sort of the the horrific side of things and the mundane side of things and you know whenever you say we're learning things at the same rate as the characters that's mostly true but you know we have that Hickman-esque not back matter but side matter in the book you know so you've got these you know transcripts of what's been said in rooms You know, you know following the last issue and video footage from inside the house and that's really well designed and i think adds, adds depths and puts us just a wee a wee bit ahead of the characters
0: yeah i mean you're, you're talking about those transcripts and so forth i mean we talk about it all the time on on this pod i mean world building there's nothing better than really solid understanding of the world being presented to you by the creators and in terms of variety and in terms of uh in terms of world building there's probably no one better than tinian right now you say world
1: building but he's actually world melting and world destroying <laughs> so, that's a fair point, but but world building while he's doing it, you know what? Yeah, I mean it's, you know those we have those intro sequences which seem to be taking place a wee bit later in the narrative and and the main story, and uh we have the mystery of Walter and who or what he is, and I mean to me that just reeks of the outer limits, uh, you know, or Twilight Zone, maybe more so the outer limits than Twilight Zone, and I I don't expect to find out everything. I don't think that's the nature of this book, um, but. Uh, I'm really excited about 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 what we do find out.
0: Yeah, you mentioned those intro sequences. I think this is a a brilliant device that really makes the book stand out. You know, it's it almost reminds me of uh Lost in a Way where Ooh. once you got the season 4 of Lost. You knew certain people got off the island, but you didn't know how they got off the island or what led to it, that kind of thing. So we know that this experience is going to change every single character in this title, but we're sort of getting a look ahead as to who will actually survive and how they've come out the other side. It's its a really class device, I think.
1: I mean, assuming that's what we're seeing, we don't know that those people are going to come out the other side just yet, Alan, so maybe don't... Uh, I'm, an don't I'm an optimist.
0: I'm an optimist. You know,
1: And... You know, with regard to that, I love how the the, the the apparent destruction, the combustion of the world and everything in it is kind of just background detail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there is... The only complaint I would have is that, you know, obviously the first issue, we've got an ensemble cast here. The first issue very much focused on, on that ensemble cast. They both have names and aliases based on their profession, and those things are key to the tale. And I find certainly in the second issue quite difficult to keep track of. I would appreciate, you know... And inside the front cover, you know, uh, just recap like they do in Day.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, to a degree, I, I think each issue is going to focus on a small group of characters each time. So I think sort of by the end of the story, we'll be we'll be familiar with them. But I mean, just before we move on, I just do want to uh, throw out a little bit of love for the, the double page spread where two characters are back in college and, and sitting in their room. The amount of pop culture references in the background (laughs) was so much fun to look at. I mean, I mentioned Lost. There is a Lost poster above someone's bed. You see Final Crisis over there. You see All Star Batman and Robin there. You see Akira sitting there. You see Star Wars in the background, of course. You, it's just it's a really fun sort of. It's a really good way of you know framing the the year that that is set when they're they're back in college as well but you just know they've had a, a lot of fun with this as well mm-hmm.
2: yeah absolutely
0: so yeah so that's the first dc uh honorable mention of the week and again it'll probably be an honorable mention every time if not a pick of the week that is nice house on the lake number two so we move away from that and on to the world of gotham and we are talking about batman the adventures continue season two number two. two oh this is so good
1: it's, it's like I cannot believe how well they're pulling this series off. I mean, if you're a fan of Batman the animated series, you shouldn't be missing this. you know it's what I think what I love about it is that it's it's relatively free of baggage you know of, of the baggage of, of years of continuity and uh, but in a way that still pays homage to that, you know it's it's that sort of representation of the Cape Crusader and his and his elk and the tones just gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it's always set by
0: the cover alone because you always see established characters there. So on the front cover of this one, you've, of course, got Batman, you've got Satan in the background, you've got Nightwing. And then, of course, you've got uh, the Talon from the Court of Isles who were introduced in issue one as well. I mean, with Batman The Adventures Continue, I just feel like every issue is pretty much just like a lost episode of the series. It's just not animated. You know, the (laughs) tone, the pacing, the art... Uh, I, I understand unfortunately the artist is gonna, you know, step away for a little bit. I know that Ty Templeton has, has had some some health issues, but uh has, has been producing absolutely flawless work here. It just works effortlessly.
1: Yeah, it really does. I mean, and you've got classic characters, you've got new characters for the animated series at least. You got well known stories adapted to the style and the whole thing is just moving the you know, the paradigm of the animated series forward and speaking of stories being adapted alan uh, what do you think about how they've adapted this early court of owls two-parter
0: well i mean you
1: you go back to snyder
0: and Capullo's court of owls that is very very deep rooted in horror so it is things that go bump in the night you know fear of the unknown you know the, the fears that you have that someone's always watching you so i think that bringing such a creepy concept as the court of Isles into an all-ages batman story is no small feat but yet it's it's handle effortlessly again here they're extending some of the mythology but but most importantly and i have to point out here unlike the tv show gotham which absolutely butchered the court of Owls, it still kills me it's one of the reasons i don't watch that show they put feathers on the mask and all, it was terrible anyway uh but no here they're paying respect to the court of Owls. i'm not messing with it too much but yeah, I, I was slightly disappointed to see that this was only a two-parter because again, I'm such a Court of the Isles mark that I would have, you know, taken a whole season of them. But, but again, it's the same in the animated show. You know, they always achieve so much in one episode or the odd two-parter here and there. So I'll look forward to what comes next anyway because it's uh, great stuff. Uh,
1: not, not, not scared to kill off long-running characters in the animated series either. Yeah, I find that really interesting. That was that hmm. was harsh. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um. So sticking with sticking with DC uh, and moving on to uh, something else, this is a Bendis book, so we'll maybe keep uh, Stephen quiet in this one because we know his feelings on uh, on Brian Michael. Um, but next up, we've got Justice League number sixty-four. You and I are both on this, Alan, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, I am indeed
0: on Justice League. I've I'll be honest, what brought me into Justice League was the backup story, but I, I didn't know what they expect with with Bendis on Justice League. You've obviously had much more years of experience of reading his uh, his writing.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think Justice League is really solid right now. Uh, great, great, varied lineup of heroes. The addition of both Naomi and Black Adam, uh, both well, Naomi certainly a, a, a Bendis creation, uh, and allows allows him to do what he does best, which is write dialogue between characters because there are so many varying characters. Um, that, yeah, so there was. I mean, there's some great stuff in here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, as I said, I didn't know really what to expect with Bendis on Justice League. I didn't really read a lot of his Superman stuff, uh, just because, again, I'm not a huge Superman guy. Uh, I never really read the, the, the Wonder Twins or anything like that. But I have to say, I've been pleasantly surprised so far. I think it's very solid superhero team up fair. It's utilizing classic lineup characters, but not relying on that lineup. You know, it's they're adding in their own original members. The addition of Black Adam's really interesting. Of course, Naomi as well. And i'm particularly enjoying the balance of lighthearted action with serious action sequences you know the the scenes with naomi's parents
1: are fantastic they're just really (laughs) really funny so they are yeah i mean this story introduces the new united planets version of the justice league who are called the united order and are made of uh, a variety of various characters from from i guess around that milo we've got uh, a thangarian we've got a Tamaranian, uh, Gordanian, a Demaxite, and a Dominator. A whole lot of different uh, different races and characters there, but uh, it has them up against uh, a character called the Sinmar, or, or, or a character from a, a galactic um, power called the Sinmar Utopica. And this character was created by them in Bendis' Superman book to be a foil for Superman. Uh, so it's it's really interesting that they're 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 setting the Justice League up against this powerful villain from from Bendis's recent run on on, on Superman, um, and that seems to be a pattern here because the last arc, the first arc of Justice League of Bendis Justice League, was a visit to Naomi's home planet and uh, and going up against one of her villains, which of course was another Bendis creation. So, uh, but yeah, I mean that that galactic stuff set against the backdrop of uh, of Green Arrow and Black Canary, you know, going for a a, a picnic and uh and all of that sort of stuff was just was just great and as you say ram v's justice league dark backstory is fantastic i'm ready for that to spin out into its own book just like robin did
0: yeah i think we're all hoping that that's uh the direction it's going to go in so but yeah i mean justice league it almost reads a wee bit in a way of like ben greatest hits from dc as you say you've got Naomi in there, you've got villain from Superman, you've got the Wonder Twins being introduced in there, so it's uh, it's almost like a greatest hits collection, but and again it goes back to what we were talking about last week with Green Arrow, maybe not getting enough love in the DC Universe at the moment, but Bendis is right in that relationship with him and Black Canary very, very well here as they're, as they're being spied on throughout the book, so yeah, very, very strong stuff with Justice League at the moment, uh, and that was Justice League 64, so we'll move on then to uh our second last DC Honourable Mention. And finally, we can bring in Stephen book. So what we're talking about here is issue four of The Next Batman's Second Son. And this is issue four of four. So it's uh, this is the final issue of this one, but we're going to be spinning out, I believe.
2: It's a weird one because, uh, as I was saying, so The Next Batman's Second Son is going to be spinning out into I Am Batman issue zero in September, I believe. I Am Batman is an honor. As an ongoing will be beginning in october now in this in the marvel in the dc solicitations book dc connect i am batman i believe is under the fear state header despite the fact it's not really connected to the current bat titles at present
0: it was always going to tie in the fear state surely because fear state is going to lead to future state which of course is you know what we've been predominantly uh, introduced to this character through so I mean, I I find it interesting. I kind of wish they didn't change the title. I I don't think they needed to change it to "I Am Batman." I think they should have just kept it as the next Batman, second son instead of changing. You know, I think that continuity would probably help the title instead of it being, you know, future state the next Batman four issues, the next Batman four issues, I Am Batman. It's all essentially one title, I would argue.
1: So it started and started in, in future state, and that was the next Batman. And this is the next Batman second son. Is it going to be? Are they going to keep that next Batman? Uh, subtitle or is it just going to be I am Batman I think it's just I am Batman I don't think necessarily that next Batman future state was the most memorable of the the future state issues but I mean I think that Ridley has really with this added value to that and you know in this issue we finally have hints as to why Tim changed his name to Jace and that's a mystery that I'm really interested in seeing the answer to
0: yeah, I loved as well the the appearance in this issue of Simon Saint, also Mayor Nakano. I'm I'm struggling to remember a time when the entire Batman universe was so interconnected. You know, Simon Saint, of course, is a massive foil in the main title at the moment. Uh has been a character that, you know, Tinian has brought through as well. But yeah, just it's so interconnected at the moment. It is fantastic. That's what I'm loving about it.
1: I would say that the payoff at the end was predictable, but very, very necessary and also still pretty cool. <laughs> You, you know, can never
0: go wrong with a uh, a reveal of a new bat suit, can you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be interested to see, you know, if and how this sits next to the current Batman continuity for the reasons that you mentioned there, Alan. You know, the inclusion of Simon Saint and Mernicano and and a few other a few other characters. So yeah, great great stuff. And I'm I'm on for the long run on this one. Yeah,
0: and it's great to see that an Oscar-winning screenwriter is not just dipping his toe into comics and writing one thing and dipping back out. You know, there's there's obviously some long-form storytelling at work here. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth. Uh, searching out the future state next batman stuff john ridley kicked things off with but i think there is a trade uh batman by john ridley which has most of the stuff he's been working on so far so yeah that is the next batman number four of four and we're going to finish off with dc with the swamp thing number five so of course this is ram v up until now it has been mike perkins on art but this one is actually john mccray and this is the halfway point i believe
1: uh, yeah, halfway through this series, and for me, it is going way too quickly. Um, even the change in artist from the fantastic Mike Perkins, uh, you know, there's no, there's still no drop off in quality in what is, for me, it's just up there against amongst the best of, of DC's titles post-Future State. I mean, this is this is amazing stuff. You know, sometimes a change in artist can be a real pain in the butt, but because this was sort of a, a shift in, a shift in storytelling, was all right. Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, we we chatted about it obviously in the in the intro, chatting about backhand and so forth. That artist changes can be a bit of a bugbear, you know, especially in a mini series. But John McRae is more than up to the task here, and it doesn't actually prove as jarring as I as I thought it might.
1: There's also an argument that uh politics should be kept out of comic books. um While the rest of us think that, like any art form, comics are a mirror for. For real world political commentary and i think ram v very skillfully walks this line adding in enough myth and magic well given a clever dig at uk society and its current right-wing tendencies shall we say
0: yeah i mean by and large i'm i'm always an advocate for comics being an escape from reality no i don't always want to be reminded of the problems in the real world but while Ram does tackle some political issues here, he doesn't bang over the head too much with it, I think.
1: In the same way, you know, hot off the end of Cy Sprayer's amazing run in his own book, John Constantine is very welcome and right at home here for me. Uh, Ram is writing him in Justice League Dark and, uh, and here, and I'd be very happy to see his take on one of my favorite DC characters in his own book. I think we'll have Constantine back in his own book, hopefully sooner rather than later. I think the
0: the fans are clamouring for it. Obviously, that Cy Spurrier run was very highly regarded. You know, he's he's making appearances in books here, books there. So I would imagine at the very least, you know, Ram has proven with Swamp Thing that he can take maybe a, not a B-tier character, but certainly one away from the, the established, you know, Justice League and so forth. Do something really interesting, really unique, and from what I understand, seals are very strong as well. So I would like to think that
1: he has maybe earned the right to have a wee,
0: have a wee crack at John Constantine, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I mean those two characters, Swamp Thing and Constantine, are the two are a brilliant team up. You know, Swamp Thing and 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 Constantine, and you know at one point the new Swamp Thing's response to Constantine's query as to his his identity is really in line with you know what what Ramby has written up until now and is is suitably. Uh, wordly and, and mystical for a, a representative of the green. Yeah, it just continues to be easily one of DC's
0: strongest books at the moment, completely different to everything else that's that's coming out. I, as as Keith said, we're halfway through the series here. It's going to be a 10-issue mini, hopefully with the idea being that if it has done well enough, a, a second volume can always come along. So that brings an end to the DC uh, Honourable Mentions, and we're going to be moving on to Marvel, and from what I can tell, he Stephen actually has a lot to say when it comes to the Marvel stuff, so yeah, we're going to jump on to Marvel as a say then. So Honourable Mentions time, and I'm going to let Stephen kick things off here with why you should be reading Amazing Spider-Man Annual number two.
2: First of all, you should be reading anything that has a spider on it. Every single spider book on the shelf at the minute is absolutely fantastic. So Amazing Spider-Man Annual number two falls under the Infinite Destinies banner, which is leading into an infinity heist in Jed McKay's Black Cat series. So each issue focuses on one of the one of the characters at the forefront of the Marvel comic universe. We've had Iron Man, we've had Captain America, we have Spider-Man, we have Thor coming up, we've Guardians of the Galaxy coming up. And each issue takes one of these iconic characters and pairs them up with, and not an Infinity Stone, an Infinity Gem. That's correct. Who... Uh, you know, some of these gems have found themselves intertwined with some superheroes. I believe Star is the standout. Is the is the character in this annual who possesses the
1: Reality Stone? The gems have uh, have paired themselves with 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 humans, with people, and have uh, have bequeathed them have bequeathed them powers. I guess that's the that's the focus of the the Infinite Destinies uh, Um So yeah, gem was the was the or star was the the uh, the star of this one, uh you know with Amazing Spider Man but yeah the reason I specify gems rather than stones is they started calling them Infinity Stones in the movies they've always been gems they've always been Infinity gems <laughs> and, and they retroactively they started calling them Infinity Stones and in the uh, in the comics and I just I'm not down with that they're Infinity gems
2: you forget we're of the younger generation we we didn't exist when the Infinity Gems Existence oh, look at that edition of, of you
0: know quotes like "What Keith says wrong." That that man will school you in Marvel, son. I tell you. <laughs> uh,
1: so, so yeah, you were saying st- you are saying stars a bit of a, a bit of a Marvel breakthrough character, Stephen. She is. She first popped up in Captain Marvel quite recently, a
2: few few runs ago, and she was uh, almost a. Uh, an antagonist of, of that title she was introduced you know a bit of a bit of a scuffle and obviously done well enough to warrant her own she had a five issue miniseries and then right. quite recently popped up in the king and black thunderbolts
1: miniseries yeah, yeah i mean i quite enjoyed that that king and black thunderbolts mini though i'm getting a wee bit fed up with them labeling every bad guy team that's forced into doing good things as thunderbolts um but that that was my first introduction to the character, I think, and she seemed fairly fairly throwaway in that series, but the development in this, you know she's an individual with an abused, unhappy childhood who isn't willing to be redeemed. That was class. Some people just want to watch the world burn, you know, partly, partly so. I do think she's an interesting character to say
2: the least, and you know as highlighted from this annual, uh certainly to be honest one that i'm not overly familiar with same as yourself the introduction was king and black thunderbolts and i've sort of went back after that to try and source some of the other stuff that she's been in
1: and uh but, how far are we through this then how far are we through the uh the infinite destiny storyline this is the halfway point this is four of eight
2: like i say we've, we've we've had characters we've had captain america we've had iron man spider-man we've got some characters coming up and the backup stories are what's linking this infinite destinies mm. through the infinite fury. We know it's all it's all building up to something that Jed McKay is working on in his Black Cat series. Which,
1: if you're not reading Black Cat, Kate, you're reading Black Cat. I am not reading Black Cat. However, uh, it was on your recommendation and the strength of the initial Iron Man uh, annual uh, that I'm picking up these all these annuals and then I'm picking up issues eight to ten of Black Cat um that said i mean i think the airman annual was probably the strongest of the lot so far
2: 100 percent the after just for the first few pages alone but i'm just i'm trying i'm, I'm recommending this series to everyone i'm recommending anything that jim kai writes to anyone but black hat in particular No, i now i say this quite confidently. i personally think black cats one of marvel's most underrated titles on the shelf That not
1: enough people are reading
2: and i think everyone should be reading it yeah, i'll uh
1: I'll, I'll pick up i'll pick up eight to ten uh to finish off the storyline and if it's uh if it's as solid as you say i can definitely go back and uh and see what i can source
0: absolutely no pressure then absolutely no pressure on those three issues no pressure your then. entire reputation is on the line here steven so you know those better be good
2: so I, I will quite happily put my entire reputation on the line for those three issues perfect yeah, that that is
0: the Amazing Spider-Man Annual number two. So the next one is All You as well, Stephen, because I actually have the first three issues of this, but have read none of it. So uh, this is where you're going to tell me why I need to be reading Extreme Carnage Alpha number one.
2: Personally, I think Extreme Carnage comes at a a very strange time from Marvel. You know, when you look at the past three years or so, the work that Donna Cates has been doing on Venom, which has just came to an end. You, know, you look at the work he's been doing in Absolute Carnage, you look at the work he's been doing in King in Black. It felt for a while that every single event, be it summer or winter, had some form of symbiotes in the event. And I know symbiotes are popular. I know Venom, Let There Be Carnage, is scheduled for release this year, and this this event focuses on carnage. Personally, I was starting to get tired of symbiotes. I thought, not another symbiote event. I'm not interested. I'm not going to read this book. I don't want anything to do with it until I seen the promotional image. I've seen Agent Venom, who I all know is Flash Thompson, and Scream front and center with Carnage in the background, and that was me sold. It's It's a very strange way Marvel are doing this. It's not as straightforward as Daniel's with Infinite Destiny, no part one, part two, part three, part four. It's, it's eight issues in total. There's a, an Extreme Carnage Alpha and an Extreme Carnage Omega, which bookends six one-shots focusing on different symbiotes, Agony, Lasher, Phage, Riot, Scream, and Toxin. Some new, some old. But I thought, issue, I thought the Alpha issue, which we're talking about, got off to a really great start. You know, Flash Thompson, who we hadn't seen since... Well, we've seen him in King of Black which was the return of Flash Thompson. But I mean, he, spoiler alert, despite it was about three years ago, he was killed during the Venom Inc. storyline with crossed over between Amazing Spider-Man and Venom. So he'd been absent in comics for a few years. You know, nobody stays deceased in comics, unless you're Uncle Ben, sometimes. And <laughs> uh, So, yeah, it's got off great start. You know, he's, he's readjusting to life real life um, he's not interested in the, the superhero he's not interested in the vigilante he's not in he's just trying to live his life but as we explored in king and black the symbiote's a hive mind so you can never escape that hive once you're bonded to a symbiote so that's that's where the issue picks up it's flash thompson's trying to live his life due to the the symbiote hive carnage is brought back into his life, who, spoiler alert again, should be dead. But it's Carnage. If there's any character that pops up every couple of years, it is Carnage. So it's exploring the mystery of why Carnage is back, what are his motives, what's going on. But what I think is doing really well, and it's not something you expect from this kind of book, is it's political. The politicians are starting to realize, hold on, We've had, we've had alien invasions, we've had symbiote invasions, people are sick of these invasions. What if we promise them that we can avoid or we can stop these invasions and get their votes?
1: And, I, so so they're setting up symbiotes as uh, immigrants? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there's your metaphor and, right there.
2: <laughs> and, yeah, and all the politicians seem to be Nigel Farage, but I just, it, it's interesting, you know, the fact that they're going down this route and Philip Kennedy Johnson is a fantastic writer. I haven't read The Last God, but I've heard really great reviews from yourselves on the podcast that it's a great series. I've read a couple of Batman pieces that he's done here and there. So between seeing him on writing duties, Manuel Garcia on the artwork, seeing the characters, the basic premise, I read the issue, enjoyed the issue. I have Extreme Carnage Scream to my left to read later on this evening. I'm looking forward to picking up the rest of that series.
0: Yeah, well, as I say, I've got the first couple of issues there, so I'm certainly going to give it a go. But that is Extreme Carnage Alpha number one. And we're going to finish off with our usual monthly sojourn to the Immortal Hulk, where I tell Keith not to spoil anything. I've now finally got my hands on every issue, and I also have a an on-record promise to read it all before issue 50 comes out. But <laughs> You're running out of time. Tell us all about 48, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, so Immortal Hulk number 48, uh, Al Ewing, uh, Joe Bennett, fantastic issue, focuses mostly on Betty Banner, uh, nee Betty Ross, also known as the Red Harpy. She's the wife of Bruce Banner and how her life has been so catastrophically impacted by her relationship with Bruce. Um, and this, this issue sort of takes the form of a post-coital conversation uh between her and the hulk i mean the conversation starts with hulk zipping up his trousers so um you know that's certainly the inference um but this hulk is inhabited by joe Fix- Fixit, who is one of the one of bruce's alters in his uh, system of multiple personalities an associative a dissociative identity disorder which has very much been at the core of this this tale and you know betty through this conversation makes Makes the Hulk confront his inaction of leaving Bruce in hell and at the mercy of the leader, and I mean it's so close to the end of this run that this will certainly be the last, I think, spotlight on Betty or any of the the supporting characters. Um, but we also have a wee bit of uh, focus on Jennifer Walters slash She Hulk through her conversation with McGee, so that should please you, Stephen. Uh, I know you're a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a She Hulk fan, um, but the examination of of this relationship, which has been a long-running cornerstone of Hulk comics through multiple runs and multiple writers, I guess, framed through Al Ewing's dialogue and Bennett's sometimes very grotesque artwork. I mean, Red Harpy sometimes is not uh, easy to look at uh, as a character. Uh, And he just, he's making use of of really, I guess, the sort of standard panel layout that you really appreciate, Alan, in some books, Uh, you know, even whenever, you know, some of those panels are, are real action shots. They still stick to the, you know, or shots into the past. Just, you know, it sticks to that standard. But, yeah, I mean, I think this this will be the last moment for collecting, for wool gathering before the final two issues of this series, uh, which includes an oversized finale, I believe. Number 50 is going to be oversized. Uh, and that's going to be the finale to this amazing, seminal, character-defining run. Uh, it's just just something else.
0: A seminal character-defining run that I'm very much looking forward to reading. Now that I finally back sourced all these issues, as I say. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that flows as well. Obviously, you've been on the ser- on the series from the start. You've been reading it month to month and so forth. So, and I've no doubt that you'll go back and give it a reread at some point, given all the the ridiculously great things you say about it. So, uh, but again, it's on record. I promise to read it before issue 15. and you can spoil it as much as you want. When we get talking about it so yeah that's the immortal hulk number 48. so that's the end of the marvel honorable mentions we'll breeze through some in the honorable mentions here so first up is it's again traditional monthly uh chat about firepower number 13 uh insert bad steven joke here
2: one of the hardest
1: titles on the shelves at the moment <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can you remember Alan when we uh, when we, we didn't ask him back after the last time? It's
0: coming back to me more and more as we talk. Uh but yeah, firepower number thirteen. So Kirkman, as you'd expect, you know, continues to excel with part. You know, there's there's so many spinning plates in this story right now. And to be honest, sometimes it feels like you're just dropping in to check on, on old friends, you know. Sometimes there's literally just a page of checking in with the character and what they're up to and that's what uh, makes these characters so much fun to uh, uh, to hang out with, you know?
1: This was this seemed like very much a, a settling out issue after after the action of issue twelve. As you say it's spinning plates, but we're we're reconnecting with we're reconnecting with Owen and his his family, we're reconnecting with, with Ling Zan and the uh after the, you know, seeing Owen for the first time in, in so many years. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're reconnecting with uh, Wai with Lun, who's now taken the, the Temple of the Flaming Fist back from Chow Feng uh, and all of that stuff. But it's, and, and, and with the, the parents, and with Owen's long lost job. And, uh, you know, uh, it's so, yeah, it's, it's just, there, there, as you say, there's a lot going on, but it's all very necessary.
0: Oh, very much. I just love the confidence of the family at the moment. You know, I I love how capable they all feel. And, you know, if one's getting bullied at school, it's just like, ah, right, let's do this. You know, that sort of thing you've got, of course, you know, the the mum has always been capable anyway. But, you know, they they're successful here and taken down as someone who's attempting uh, a robbery as well. But outside of that, there are some massive revelations. This issue, I mean, the last four to five pages are incredible. In terms of moving the story forward, in terms of uh, showing us some new, new exciting directions for the story to take.
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, it's just a it's just a great book, and it's 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 never off our honourable mentions or our picks of the week, and uh, you know that's. That's, that's that's just the work, Mr. Kirkman, isn't
0: it? <laughs> well, Mr. Kirkman and Mr. Samley, who continues to knock it out of the park with the art in this as well. So, Firepower, the third trade of it recently came out as well, which covered issues seven to twelve. So, again, we cannot specify that enough. If you if you are trade reading this, by all means, stick to that format, but just don't miss out in this title. Firepower is genuinely one of the best around. And no, I won't say one of the hottest around, Stephen. I'm sorry. Uh, so that's fire part number 13. What about Masters of the Universe Revelation?
1: Oh, yes. This was right up my street. I mean, it's a must for anyone who's a fan of He Man and interested in the new Kevin Smith, though, coming to Netflix. I was going to say later this month, but it's next week, in fact, isn't it? Not far uh, away. Am I the only one on this?
0: Yeah, unfortunately I had to give my copy up for a regular customer who who came to this late, uh, told me they were one of the biggest He-Man fans ever and so forth, so it was with a heavy heart, I handed it over, but fear not, more copies are on the way.
1: Where's Roddy whenever I need him? Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, I know Stephen, you're saying that this is maybe a wee bit old school for you, but I mean, it is a prequel to, as I say, the new Masters of the Universe Revelation series coming out from Kevin Smith. Now, I know that picks up where the the 1984 series, 1983 series, stop, but uh, in a very, in a very new way. This book doesn't require any previous MoTU knowledge. Um, it's by Tim Sheridan of Teen Titan Academy fame, Kevin Smith, who we all know as the, as uh, the ultimate hype man for pop culture, and Rob David, uh, who is working with Kevin Smith on the series, and they've created a, an exciting tale about you know, about what's going on with the, the inhabitants, inhabitants of Eternia whenever we reconnect with them. series acts as a as a prequel to that series of the same name, and the introductory chapter I think is very effective in setting up what is definitely a promising storyline. We're given the history of the Sword of Power, which is he Man's Sword and, and its previous wielders no less, and of Castle Greyskull the uh, center of wisdom and power and attorney it's all very exciting to see how this narrative is directly connected to all the events that the, that they're building for the for the series i'm already totally invested in this series and looking forward to the to the next chapter i mean with regard to to art mindy lee does a great job of of sort of making me see the original animation style in her art while still moving it forward and I mean, with that, I really enjoyed being reintroduced to classic characters, He-Man, Prince Adam and Battle Cat, King Randor and Queen Merlina, Man-at-Arms, Tila, who I think is gonna have a real central role both to this tale and to the series, and to uh, Orko, of course. And I mean, I love the attention to detail to some of the lesser known details, such as Pre-Turnia, which is the, what Eternia was known as in the past, the history of Eternia, of King Greyskull and his son and the former wielder of the Sword of Power, Hero, who was uh, he Man's predecessor, and um, from an abandoned toy line that the Mattel were going to put out back in the day. So I mean, this is it's a packed issue. There's so much going on. Well crafted and accessible. I would absolutely get him on the ground floor. And you know, as I'm sure your 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 gentleman who uh, came in and stole your issue would have said, as as a great He Man fan, Alan, by the power of Grayskull.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm always happy to give up issues for a fan and. You know i always leave myself to last because it's not like i don't have enough to read at all times but no i'm looking forward to this because again i mean i'm not the biggest masters of the universe guy in the world but the trailers for this this series look fantastic the talent involved look great the the voice cast look great so if this is a is a nice little segue into that then then i'm on board so i'll hopefully be able to give you some thoughts next week with that one so that is masters of the universe Revolution number one and Another number one that hit this week that was definitely one of the biggest releases was Skybound X number 1. So this is a, a celebration of all things Skybound uh which of course is the uh Robert Kirkman spearheaded imprint of Image Comics. So what were the thoughts on this?
1: I mean, I thought this was a brilliant anthology. It's Kirkman, well, the 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 the, the pointy end of it is Kirkman playing with the idea that he originally pitched to Image Uh, which were that the zombies in The Walking Dead were an alien plot. (laughs) You know, we've talked about that before. Um, And it's just good throwaway fun. It's great to see Ryan Otley, uh, his invincible partner, uh, on a a Kirkman book again. Uh, uh, Rick Grimes 2000, no less. Uh, So that was, yeah, just I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, to me, this is Kirkman, you know, Kirkman's got a great sense of humor
0: in general, and this is almost his way of saying, like, I'll live up to that Aliens pitch with with good humor, so it's a fun anthology issue, you know, Rick Grimes 2000 is definitely the obvious standout for me, and having just recently been a a convert to Invincible, and seeing the ridiculously uber-violent art in this, oddly always did love extremely violent art, so he
1: (laughs) is having a ball here. Yeah, it's right off his street, you know, and... I mean, I didn't have any previous experience of Ultra Mega or Clementine. Uh, The former didn't mean much to me, but the latter, I think this is the first introduction of a Telltale Games character into the Walking Dead comic universe. And that left me wanting to know a little bit more. It is, it's the
2: first time a Telltale characters crossed over into the Walking Dead comic universe. Now, for people who have played The Walking Dead, the Telltale Walking Dead video game, characters from the comic universe have crossed over into the game. I'm not say who, because you should play it. Please play it. You know, this picks up immediately after the fourth and final season of those games. I say fourth and final season, you know, each season has five episodes. Each episode's maybe one and a half, two hours of gameplay. I know the gameplay, the graphics can be a bit jarring for people. I know Alan's tried a few, but you're hard-pressed to find a better story set within the Walking Dead universe than those telltale games.
1: Yeah, I've never, uh, I've never, I've never touched it, but I could be, I could be convinced.
2: Yeah, I mean, even um, Batman
0: couldn't convince me with the Telltale games. So, I mean, if if Batman can't convince me to play those games, I'm not sure anything would be able to.
1: And uh, they made an announcement in here about what's happening, what's happening after with with Clementine. Yeah, so Clem's story in the Walking in
2: Skybound X which I say picks up after the video games, she's going to be one of the spearheading titles of a new imprint that Skybound are launching called Skybound Comet, which is going to be aimed at young adult, roughly 12 plus, and middle grade readers who would be 8 to 12. So this this imprint's going to kick off July 2022. Tilly Walden is going to be kicking off the first of three original graphic novels, continuing Clem's story.
0: See, I love oh. this idea that image are going to branch out into sort of younger readers because we talk about it in the store all the time. You know, DC and Marvel are doing more and more stuff for younger readers. It's It can always be tricky to get that sort of 6 to 12 demographic and find something suitable. But I must admit, I find it hilarious that what's kicking it off is The Walking Dead.
1: It's, it's fitting in a way, isn't it? Yeah
0: kind of makes sense i suppose a lot of modern image was built on the walking dead so i suppose skybound comic can be built on a on the bones of the walking dead as well so but yeah skybound x uh, number one and that is going to be a weekly six parter uh to continue with that so we'll look forward to some more rick grimes 2000 Uh, another great image title that again gets its usual uh, its usual mention is the good asian number three
1: It wouldn't be a week if we uh, if we didn't give it an honorable mention. it's it's absolutely fantastic stuff.
0: Best issue so far?
1: Uh, maybe, possibly. I mean, there aren't many comic books that can make a history lesson quite this interesting, but this manages it. that shows us the Chinese Exclusion Act, which is not something that we certainly have learned about in history class, nor, I would imagine has a lot of white America but it shows that act through the lens of Edison Hark and his Detective Noir tale set in 1930s San Francisco. Um, it's interesting that you say it's maybe, would you say it's your favourite of the three so far?
0: I think so. I think it's 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 moving the story along really, really well, but the main character perhaps takes a little bit of a backseat in this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I was about to say, because this issue is the first to depart from the, the perspective of Edison Hark, and we spend some time with, uh, Lucy Fan and get a wee bit more of her backstory in, in Chinatown and San Francisco. And I think that sort of provides a nice contrast to to what we've already seen of Edison Hark's perspective and what it's provided to us. And I think it further shows us the city and its, its people. And, you know, Lucy acts, you know, as a way to uh, show Edison and his in this place and in this city that he's come to, you know, he's he's the outsider there, I guess. He's from Hawaii as he continues his his mission to search for for Ivy Chen. And it it does downplay Edison a wee bit than we more than we've seen him in, in issue one and two, but it still shows us his keen detective's eye. There's great action sequence and there's a, a like a standoff and Edison's trademark self loathing and. And sometimes coldness and utilitarianism towards his own people. Yeah. That'd that be fair to say. That standoff scene is
0: fantastic, so it is where he essentially invites someone to take a free shot at him. <laughs> and then he actually takes him down before he can get the free shot. And he actually <laughs> says, I'm not that dumb. I mean the art on that page is absolutely fantastic. It actually has a huge um depiction of Edison's head. And then almost all the panels are almost like his thoughts and his and his process and so forth. The art in this is is exceptional from issue to issue, I think, and and the coloring is a, is a big reason this issue stands out so much as well. It's it's just so cinematic, so it is, and so yeah. noir. It's just a great, great title.
1: Yeah, I mean that 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 noir tone to the art, and I think it's because the color palette is is very muted. Uh, you know, that's that's what does it. You know, and it it it's just fantastic fantastic writing and just a historical noir that we i mean i don't think we can talk highly enough about from from episode to episode it's just great comics
0: yeah and i've uh, i've made sure to continue to stock issues one two and three just in case you're playing catch up so if uh, if you like the sound of it yeah get on it because uh it is it's one of the best things around at the moment so uh why don't you take a little bit of a lead on one then Stephen? another tinian joint uh this is wind number
2: eight it is, first of all, just want to say James Tinian Fourth has to be one of the most versatile writers in the industry right now. When you look at the horror-based titles he's working on, Something Is Killing the Children and Nice House in the Lake, you look at the blockbuster DC titles he's writing, Batman and Joker, and now his fantasy epic Wind, I just think there's very few writers in the industry quite like Tinian. Of course, no writer is without his penciler partner. And Michael the is that how it's pronounced I believe so. is the artwork working they are working. this is beautiful i mean we both bended our frustration the fact that boom have included wind under their boom box imprint aimed at younger readers so the the trade is slightly smaller this is not artwork that should be shrunk
0: fully agree with that i think it's a it's a gorgeous looking title really well realized world and and again get your bingo card ready what does it have keith
1: Oh, it's loads and loads of world building. Uh, yeah, I mean, it really is. It really is fantastic. There was a an issue in the in the previous volume which you know detailed a lot of the a lot of the backstory and the world, and this then builds on that, but from a slightly different point of view. Uh, and I just, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think the I think the issue you're referring to back in the first arc they sort of explored the origins of Pipe and the fairies and how everything came to be but of course we can't have our protagonists without our antagonists
1: yeah you're you're exactly right it was uh it was like the four winds the and then the the, the gods you know and then they went into the fairies and the the spritles and different things all the different factions
2: within the in the world which like you say it's it's, it's all world building you know they this this issue in particular they focus on the fairies and the the vampires who are the sort of the bad guys of the book and I just think it was a great example of moving the second arc forward while at the same time exploring the rich history of the world that they're building.
0: Yeah, so first trade as, as Stephen says is available of when, then it's definitely a great all ages title to get you into. But yeah, just to back up that point, you know, we we talk about Tinian every single week, and we still may talk about him further along in this pod. But yeah, he's he's probably the most first writer writer around. You know, as you say, the horror stuff and not even mentioned Department of Truth there, and that's I think testament to his quality cool. in terms of. The big titles. He's he's writing so many big titles it's easy to leave one mm-hmm. off the list. So yeah, just it's it's nice to see him in indulging his uh his all ages skills as well with wind. So yeah, that was wind number eight. So just a couple of indie ones then to finish off with. First one is one I think I'm the only one on this. Uh, this is. Uh, I think
1: it's true. That's true.
0: And it's a it title is. that everyone should be on. So this is Fight Girls number one. So this is the first of a five issue miniseries. This is the latest offering from AWA Studios. Uh, of course, this is a a, a comic a comic studio that we are just pushing as much as we can. Great genre storytelling, self contained stories, and great uh, creators. Wow. And this was so much fun. This was this was genuinely very very close to pick of the week, but uh, my bias for a certain Cape Crusader maybe uh, pushed that over the edge. But yeah, <laughs> Fight Girls is essentially the, the guts of the story. It's it revolves around ten skilled, resourceful women who are dropped onto a strange planet and must survive all of the mysteries and dangers this uh, planet will present. The winner will essentially be married to uh, a king after the king's initial fiancée was found to be unable to conceive. So she was basically discarded and then this contest set up. You know, there's mysterious corporations who also have ringers amongst the ten women. There's different political machinations here as well. And there's some characters uh, with within those ten women who are clearly, clearly more to them than meets the eye. And no, that doesn't mean they're a transformer before anybody asks. But, yeah, just brilliant, brilliant art. The series is written and drawn by Frank Chu. Now, Frank Chu, I've only really seen do a lot of covers. I've never really seen him do a lot of sequential art. And um, with this one, it's Sabine uh, Rich on colors, which is just as important. There's some absolutely brilliant creature design. Yes, you heard that right. There are dinosaurs in this. There are, you know... Yeah, I've got Keith interested. Uh, there are just... Just the the mysteries of this world that they're on, again, there's going to be a lot of world building, I think, through this. There's a lot of creature action. There's a lot of mythology building as well. It's fast-paced. There's loads of action. It all adds up to a really, really excellent issue one. You know, you've always got a scoreboard as you're going through of the 10 different girls so that, you know, I know it was something you were talking about with Nice House in the Lake, sometimes you maybe lose the run of so many different characters, but there's definitely thought has went into this to keep you involved as the who's who each woman has a different number on her as well so it's it's a really easy to follow book but a lot of fun and if i had the sort of elevator pitch it it's pretty much a mix of the running man or running woman in this case uh predator and jurassic park this is so much fun and another (laughs) great example of awa comics so uh i mean it's it's certainly one that if you're not on the singles you know awa always released the trades at that ten dollar price point so but definitely get on it because it is a beautiful looking book and it reads really really well as well so yeah fight girls number one from awa i think uh i think i'm
1: sold i think i'll maybe trade that one yeah
0: highly recommend it and i'll definitely be keeping people informed when it hits trade as well so that's fight girls number one and i'm sorry keith i have to do it I'm sorry. That's one last honourable mention. It is the Walking Dead deluxe, and it's number 18. You know, it it deserves to be mentioned every time a new issue is released because it continues to excel and prove why it is one of the best and most important comic series of all time.
1: <laughs> you see, this is this this is why, this is what I was trying to avoid. This is exactly what I was trying to avoid. Uh, this is what I was saying, and look what's happened now. It's all gone to the dogs. Well, like we
2: know, we only have one person we can blame for this, Keith. It's Robert Kirkman. He has us absolutely spoiled this week with Firepower, with Skybound X, with Rick Grimes 2000, and now we have another issue of Walking Dead Deluxe. Which, if I'm honest, I've read The Walking Dead, I've watched The Walking Dead, I've played The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead Deluxe goes to the top of my pile every week. Really enjoying reading, rereading the earlier stuff. And to be honest, it's been that long since I've read it it feels like I'm reading some of it for the first time which is which is quite nice because over time you read so much you do forget a few bits and pieces but I think the reason I'm enjoying rereading it so much is because Dave McKaig's colouring on this series is incredible you know it's per choice of words he breathes a new life into this (laughs) this zombie apocalyptic series but I just I just think it's fantastic
1: yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I read I read The Walking Dead first in in trades as they came out. Uh, so six issue, image trades, in black and white. But this is like coming back to a TV series you really enjoyed that's been remastered and updated. Like whenever they digitized Star Trek or like watching The Wire on Blu-ray rather than DVD. This is it's just great stuff. And this particular issue is a bit of a killer, again, per choice of words. <laughs> <laughs>
2: For lack of a better term, yeah. But, I mean, I think one of the biggest selling points for myself is Kirkman's cutting room floor, where, you know, you've got a double spread. Left-hand side, you have his original plot page. and the right-hand side, he goes into a bit of a discussion about, over the course of the series, what he's changed, what he would have done differently. And this, this is a big... There's some big changes from his original plot. I mean, you know, the... I, without going into too much detail, you know, issue seventeen ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, which is what they set up uh, for issue eighteen, and it's completely scrapped. It's gone. You know, he didn't feel like that would work in the world, and you know, he was also this is the third, this issue's the cum, the accumulation of the third trade, so he was like he was building up to a bigger cliffhanger, which was again shelved.
1: What he says, you know, in the, in his text is that he says that it was the first time that he let or felt he had to let the characters lead the way. That he was writing the characters and he was like forcing them into doing things that they didn't want to do. And he so he let the characters be be the guide, and uh, he thinks he came out with something way way better than what he had originally planned. But yeah, as you say, the cutting room floor where they they photocopy photocopies his uh, or copies in his original notes, and these are all just scribbled out. It's complete chaos. <laughs> Oh, some of the
2: handwriting is terrible, but another great issue. Looking forward to the next one. Fan favorite character, first appearance. One of my favorite characters. it's it's gonna be great.
0: Yeah, just I I have to mention it again. At any time a new issue is out, wholeheartedly agree. It's it's like reading it for the first time because it has been that long, and it just it is that good. It is that well paced. The characters are that engaging. The world is beautifully realized. The art is fantastic. The the colors. I think more and more now you're starting to see the colours. There was a really great detail I noticed in this issue that I don't think you'd have noticed before and it's where Rick goes to talk to someone and he's hiding his hand behind his back yes, and you can yes. see the, the hand is blood-soaked because he's broken his fingers. But you wouldn't have noticed that detail in the black and white quite so much, I think. You would have maybe just thought it was shadow falling upon his hand, but... But yeah, just to have new details like that coming into a story that is, you know, over 15 years old at this point or started over 15 years ago is incredible. And and again, a testament to just how good it is. Again, we keep recommending it as well because if you haven't read it, this is a great way to read it with the, the fortnightly format. And we don't know if this will ever be collected in terms of, you know, the color version of The Walking Dead. Though, of course, the black and white versions, to be honest, still sell every single week. So, in our store anyway. So
1: yeah. a, wee, uh, a wee sideways reference to a Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds song there with uh, with Rick's red right hand. What a tune. What a tune. <laughs>
0: Always makes me think of Scream as well. That, that song's really well utilized in Scream. So... I may have been talking to a few people in store about Scream last week. So but anyway, see. that is the Walking Dead Deluxe number eighteen. I promise not to mention again, Keith, until the Walking Dead Deluxe nineteen comes out. So that's, we need to have a serious conversation. <laughs> that is it for the honorable mention. So as ever we'll go on to our picks of the week. So it looks like it's going to be a Marvel-heavy one, but that's not going to stop me starting off with DC. So my pick of this week was Batman 110. So this is uh, the team of James Tenney in the fourth, him again. Uh, Jorge Jimenez on art and Tomei More on colors and I think sometimes I forget just how special this Batman run is becoming, you know, I, I just take it for granted that every issue is a great issue, but this one really hit home for me for the first time in a little while, just how good of a run it is. This was an absolute perfect balance of super heroics, high stakes, heroes pushed to the very edge of their ability, teamwork, amazing art, and a really, really strong hook to finish the issue off as well. This is one of the very best issues of the mainline
1: Batman title of recent times and this is the first time you've picked a Batman since issue 100 if we forget about the annual so I think you're doing all right yeah I mean again it'd be so easy to just
0: fall back on it every single time but I think sometimes it's good to take a little bit of a step away from it and then just remind yourself so but I do love that you're able to check up on all my previous picks just to make sure (laughs) I'm not doing it every time (sighs) but but yeah, essentially, this is a, this is part five in the current storyline, which is uh, called The Cowardly Lot. So part five kicks things off with a really cool nightmare sequence. We're st- the more and more foreshadowing that we're about to enter the fear state, which, of course, is the, the cross title Batman event coming up. So, you know, Tinian and, and, and Jorge Jimenez, they ramp up the action here in order to deliver this exciting turning point of the story. You know, there's so many questions here. You know, Simon Saint, he has become such a great character and there's such a great manipulator, able to manipulate City Hall, able to turn people against the Batman, able to, you know, convince everyone that this essentially totalitarian regime that he wants to introduce with the, the Peacekeepers is the way forward. And he's able to do all this. It's, its He's a brilliantly realized character, but you're still thinking what's his next move as well. Scarecrow keeps dipping in and out of this story. We know what's his ultimate end game, you know, and and how also will the GCPD respond to the fact that the Peacekeeper Program is starting to come through. So the last few issues for me, they've been a little bit slower paced. You know, issue one hundred eight was all about introducing Miracle Molly, very strong issue, but again, very exposition heavy. Uh, the last issue was a little slower paced, but this one ramps it up to eleven.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it's uh, it was great. I mean, it was it was knocked down, drag out action, and the you know the shots all that landed all felt like they really landed. You know that that sort of real crunch in the battle between you know Batman and and, and Peacekeeper One, and there were some revelations about Peacekeeper One. You know that sort of revealed that he wasn't maybe the slightly understandable, sympathetic character or victim that we thought which was which was interesting that really really came to the head at the end there and there was the first mention in comic of of fear state uh which is you know which is great and then i'm really looking forward to that and then i mean the, the book was was absolutely awesome looking uh, as well just from from issue to issue it looks great and i mean of course we've got the the real superhero coming to uh, coming over from bloodhaven to to save batman it was only one panel but uh <laughs> Uh, what a a panel it was one
0: panel was enough for you with that one but it's interesting something that just actually came to my mind is could you maybe equate or compare a little bit peacekeeper one we were obviously talking about taskmaster and there's a lot in this that he doesn't eat batman style but he's consistently because of the technology and so forth, he's consistently analyzing his style, finding ways to counter everything. So it, yeah. it's it's almost like Batman is one step behind here. And that's what's so great about this. I I love it when characters are pushed to their absolute limits and forced Ooh. to again remind you why they are a superhero. And the fact that Batman even keeps alive throughout this battle, like this is this is a vicious fight scene the whole way through it, and it's it's almost framed as a fight to the death as well, certainly from Peacekeeper's side, but you know, you have this great rescue situation as well, you know, bringing in Ghostmaker, bringing in the, the slightly reformed Harley Quinn as well. I mean, the the, the the artwork, as you say, is phenomenal. I mean, that one scene where Batman just jumps out of the building, the sort of leap of faith, and then at the same time you see Ghostmaker jumping down to, to catch him. You know, I, I, I must admit, I'm sure as a, uh, as a Nightwing fan yourself, you must have almost wished this was Dick Grayson catching him, because this was a very circus trapeze-esque move almost.
1: It was, you know, it's very much that sort of uh, that sort of uh, in tune relationship of of uh, long, you know, brothers training together. So I, I do like what they're doing with Ghostmaker here. But, yeah, I can see how and it's already they've already pointed to to Nightwing's possible uh, resentment at that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he certainly resents the relationship more than any of the other Bat family. Uh, so I think that's very interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing that explored for sure yeah mm-hmm. and then there's there's more
0: exploration of the unsanity collective you know obviously the simon saint and the peacekeepers and so forth are looking to frame them you know it's a really interesting sort of hook that the issue ends on where there they make a, a habit of saying "Look, take us peacefully we won't resist and then you're you've got that page turn it's like you know peacekeeper saying oh they won't come peacefully Re- request permission essentially to you know, use lethal force. And of course, Simon sand is like request granted. So just, I, I think the next issue is probably going to be the wrap up issue for this before we enter into the, the fear state properly. Uh, and then again, you've got a great backup story as well. You know, more and more stuff on Ghostmaker. I know you've been talking, Stephen, about being a, a really big fan of the character Ghostmaker.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying the character. It's um, He's, he's very much a Batman equal but at the same time, there's a lot of mystery around this character because you know we know he's had a long-standing relationship with with Bruce Wayne and Batman. They've you know they've trained together, they've fought together, fought against each other, and and so forth. But we still don't 100% know where exactly he comes from. What his his, his motives are. What his what his overall goal is. So it's it's something I'm looking forward to finding out and. You know, really, I really—I th- think Ghostmaker and Batman have a really great uh dynamic together. I'm not go as far as to say they're a dynamic duo, for uh for Keith's sake. But uh no, it's it's great to see an equal running running around with Batman who doesn't wear spandex and looks like a human target.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the the character very much certainly in the backup story. I I'll, I'll be curious to know Keith's thoughts, but. The character reminded me of almost like a Bruce Lee esque character in this one. So the backup story, a lot was to do with uh, a lot of it was to do with Ghostmaker taking down this you know huge target, this huge hulking creature, and you know it's all about the creature going like, oh, he just kept tapping me. He wasn't really hitting me hard. He wasn't expending loads of energy, but what he was actually doing was these sort of calm, steady blows. And it was actually a case where he was hitting the same pressure points over and over and over again and wearing them down. And this just came across as very Bruce Lee esque to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Which yeah, yeah, you know, I always appreciate. It. <laughs> it was that it was that idea that he was a he was a larger opponent and it was just it was a, a just a endurance, it was a, a long, constant battle, you know, but it was you know, not getting hit and just just uh, wearing them down. Yeah, for me, Batman just continues to be the best
0: um, the best example of DC's new format since Infinite Frontier because the backup stories have always been really good. The mainline story is fantastic. The artist has been the same the whole way through. Please don't let me have cursed that. Uh, so yeah, my pick of the week this week, Batman 110. So we're going to be leaving the world of DC and jumping into the mighty world of Marvel. Keith, what was your pick of the week?
1: My pick of the week uh, for the seventh of July is X-Men number one by Jerry Dugan, Pepe Larraz, and Marta Garcia on uh, colour art. Uh, so this is this is like a soft, uh, I suppose, nearly a soft reboot of the of the X-Men books, and, and of the X-Men book that title. And now that they've established the the status quo of the X books, in which The X-Men book written by the head of X, Jonathan Hickman, functioned as the spine. We've reached the point at which the world's best-known X-related book came back to showcasing the world's premier mutant super team, the heroes of Krakoa, the eponymously named X-Men. Hence, as I say, the soft relaunch under Jerry Duggan, who's been a constant in the Hickman X-verse, and uh, and before that even. Uh, He's been writing Marauders, he guided the Hellfire Gala, and he's just finished authoring the triumphant Planet-Sized X-Men. So back to its superhero roots, but in a very, very different world and under very different circumstances.
0: Yeah, I jumped on this myself. I was really, really blown away by Planet-Sized X-Men, and I thought this was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable Issue you won it. It must sound weird, too, to say an X-Men title, and it's not written by Jonathan Hickman.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose, and... In some ways, in some ways, it is. I notice he is still he's still the head of X. However, well, he still got that uh, title. But what is great
0: to see is uh, Pepe Larraz. I mean, the art in this book was up there with the best of the week.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, Pepe Larraz is the is the perfect choice. Uh, behind him, he's got extermination. He's got parts of X. He's got you know Avengers, Star Wars, and of course the aforementioned planet Size X Men. So yeah, I mean he's been he's been part of the House of X, parts of X relaunch since the since the very very beginning. Um, But the team, the new X-Men team, which was uh, voted for by the mutants of Krakoa and by the readers, uh, has been formed, consisting of Cyclops, Jean Grey, uh, Wolverine, uh, as in the the Laura Kinney uh, version of Wolverine, Rogue, Polaris, Sink and Sunfire. They're launching a new base in New York City. uh, And, you know, they resolve to protect not only Krakoa, but the world. And their first test comes in the form of a massive Alien machine that has been sent to clear Earth of humanity. So there's, there's some great character interactions here, and also some clever use of mutant powers, both individually and united.
0: Yeah, I mean the one of the first things that actually caught my eye on this was almost not just X Men related. It was a uh, I I love the character of Ben Urich. You know that leads back to Spider Man, back to Daredevil, all sorts. And I thought that it was a really good set, a really good introduction, I suppose, for new readers. Uh, that interaction between Ben Urich and Cyclops at the start of the issue, because they're able to obviously talk about this this treehouse, which uh, the concept alone is fantastic. Uh, this treehouse in the middle of New York, and to ask about their intentions. And what what I find interesting about this is it hints at the larger Marvel Universe's attitudes towards the status quo shift. You know, he's the reporter; he's essentially asking the question that everybody wants to know the answers
1: to. Mm, yeah, he represents, the, I guess, the everyman. But, yeah, that really connects everything, as you say, to the larger MU, as do the cameos by the FF and the Avengers. And it leaves you in no doubt that this is very much tied to the 616 universe. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see, you know, repercussions, you know, from the other X-Books and into the other X-Books. And in particular, you know, there's some really interesting choices in the team. Uh, so Sink and Wolverine find themselves here in the same team and they had a great storyline in the recent X-Force book where they spent a lifetime together thanks to time dilation and Laura's healing factor and Everett's sinking with that healing factor to keep them both alive and at the end of it Laura gave her life to allow Sync to escape and he managed to have his mind backed up before he died of old age I think whilst Laura didn't so hence he recalls them having that life together but she doesn't so that's sort of interesting on the relationship side. And also, there's some great stuff in the Scott Jean relationship side. That's one of the oldest and sometimes most stayed relationships in Marvel comics. But this sort of, I guess, takes it to another level with you know Scott acting as the as the the captain and and Jean as the second in command. It's, it's it's really cool stuff. And there's, I think, with throughout the issue, there's a sense of 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 both careful planning and giving it everything it introduced a brand new, as you said, Krakoa-influenced base. It's a, a high-tech treehouse in the center of New York City. There's a few new enemies who have grand designs of their own, including a mad scientist who seeks to crack the secret of mutant resurrection. and A, a ruthless businessman, the, the Jeff Bezos of it all, who resents Krokoa from, from beating him to the punch and colonizing Mars. <laughs> There's the continuing sci-fi elements that have come to the forefront during Hickman's run. And you know the mutants have made some pretty bold moves recently and so now they're going to have to deal with the repercussions of those of those actions it's you know it's adventure it's excitement uh you know all of that's in that issue and there's there's an awful lot of an awful lot of fun to be had great dialogue you know throughout the whole thing you get a sense of these characters and their relationships there's there's lighter elements to this story and some of the other stories that are there's lighter elements to this story than maybe there are in some of the other Krakoa-based stories. And I just, I really enjoyed it and enjoyed its balanced tone. I enjoyed the the art style and I'm really, really invested. Looking forward to seeing where, where X-Men goes next.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you even almost had a giant uh, X-Men Power Ranger in there as well, no less. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there was there was a bit of the uh, a bit of the, the, the Pacific Rim, yeah, Power Rangers sort of deal going on as well for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean they even throw out this little battle cry of X Men go here we go, and then you turn the page and you have essentially this giant all X Men linked together with a huge burning X logo, and the um, you know branding's is important. Uh, but yeah, I just I'm I'm with you. I find this a lot of fun. I found it really accessible which is always my worry at the moment with obviously so many x-men titles and so forth i really just i have to say it again the art is just fantastic there's this double page spread especially that shows the treehouse and has them sort of walking through it and guiding through it and it is just wonderfully realized um just you know your your eyes just guided throughout the whole page uh, yeah really brilliant issue i thought as well and again i come to it as more of a relative novice than yourself so i think i i maybe speak for the more casual x-men fan by saying it's really accessible a lot of fun and uh yeah definitely on this for the for the foreseeable so great stuff so yeah that is keith's pick of the week and that is x-men number one so we are going to finish off our picks of the week then with steven what was your pick this week
2: my pick of the week this week was uh, surprise surprise uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 70 I think Nick Spencer's doing a great job writing the character doing a great job of writing Lizard
1: that was I find that really interesting uh, you know he's been Kurt Connors or more more specifically as you say the Lizard has been like a part of the book teaching in the school uh, you know throughout Nick Spencer's run but this was really interesting and um, they seem to be, what seems to have happened is Kurt Connors has been separated from the lizard. And it reminds me of the 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 Todd McFarlane torment storyline when Kurt Connors, you know, that, that side was repressed and all that was left was the, the bestial, violent, bloodthirsty lizard.
2: Storyline I need to check out myself, to be honest. But what I, what I found interesting about this issue was, you know, this is building up to Sinister War, which we'll discuss a wee bit later on. But the marketing for Sinister War, I mean... We know it's the Savage Six versus the Sinister Six and Spider-Man's caught in the middle. But you'll never count, excluding Spider-Man, you'll never count 11 villains on the posters mm-hmm. on all the on all the previews and all the advertisements. So I th- thought that was clever. Sneaky, but clever, you know, for an for expensive to keep that card so close to his chest. You know, didn't want to spoil what he'd planned for that character. But, mm-hmm. you know... There, there's a lot going on in this issue as you were discussing Keith.
1: Yeah, I mean so Mary Jane's got her own storyline here. She's she's on the on the investigation on the uh, the private eye and She's looking for Carly Cooper, uh, another ex-girlfriend of of Peter's who's been trapped by Kindred alongside Harry Osborne. Meanwhile, Kindred is supposedly a demonic version of Harry and Harry's body has turned up in the morgue. So what's going on? My money is still on Kindred being a, a pre-One More Day version of Harry. Could very well, well much be. One thing that's just popped into my head about that uh,
2: that page of, of Harry in the morgue, I do remember seeing the image on Twitter before the issue went out. And, you know, obviously, he's it's a skeleton in a morgue. He's wearing a very nice suit, but he's got Harry Osborn's hair. Mm. Which, you know just the fact that you have this immaculate skeleton in a suit but you know clearly they thought well how do we, how, how are the readers going to know this is harry Osborne? Ah, we'll put his hair on yeah, exactly but to you know to, to get back to, to what it is it's you know this is the prelude to sinister war nick spencer's final story of uh something he's been laying the groundwork for since he took over spider man three years ago I looked it up on CLZ it was the 18th of July 2018 so we're we're, we're, we're almost th- we're, we're over three years into this run which is for a start that's crazy you know it's hard to believe it's been that long but it's been
1: it's been some journey mm, clearly not a man who was in Dan Slotsville run then
2: um <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm He's tweeting trying. him He's on a weekly trying.
2: basis. I'm tweeting Marvel. We want omnibuses. You know, I just got his She-Hulk omnibus. We need
1: we want ten years worth of Spider-Man omnibus. Yeah, perfect. I mean there was yeah, as you say, Freeland DeSinister were a lot of setup in this issue. a lot of setup in this issue. I mean Spencer's positioning his pieces he used variously throughout and as parts of his run. So from right back in the haunted storyline, as you say, we have the Savage Six and and earlier than that, and by the end we're we're left in no doubt as to who all the players are, who's in control, but not really what the stakes are. And after three years, Spencer's gotta go out with a bang after everything he's done. I think he very much well will will do. You know, I trust the man. I
2: I think he definitely sits along the longer form of storytelling, you know. If you if you think of the controversy around his what I thought was fantastic is Captain America and Secret Empire run, you know. Uh, first issue, pay, final page, Captain America, Hail Hydra.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I thoroughly I thoroughly enjoyed that that run, uh, as, as you say, as controversial as it was. But, I mean, he does do a great job of keeping everything moving forward and tying all the storylines together. And then the, the Federico Vencettini art is just great. Uh, but, I mean, in the script that was interesting, this issue, it always stopped short of the action. Obviously, they're saving it for Sinister War, you know, teasing what's coming up. And uh, is is Tini, is he penciling Sinister War or is it is it the legendary Mark Bagley or is it a bit of both? It's a bit of both. Oh, so and okay. uh,
2: will be penciling the Amazing Spider-Man issues, as we've seen in the prelude, and Mark Bagley will be penciling the Sinister War issues, which is the four-issue miniseries that
1: takes place between the pages of Amazing Spider-Man lovely so Sinister War number one up next then Amazing Spider-Man number 71 looking forward to this and uh if that's the case then that means this issue has done exactly what it needed to do oh
2: 100% uh, definitely sets things in motion for a clim- climatic finale uh to to be honest it's been an absolutely incredible run like I say three years no easy feat I'm curious to see how Spencer wraps it all up in the last couple issues but I'm also curious to see how he sets up what we now know is going to be Spider-Man Beyond in October.
1: Yes, indeed. We yeah uh, we talked a bit about that at the at the start of the last
0: podcast, I believe. Oh, we did indeed. Yes, uh, that new creative team coming on to Spider-Man, and of course the shipping three times a month schedule but yeah the the thing about it is you, you guys are obviously making sense. the worst sound really exciting it should have actually been out last week on the, uh, the 14th of july but it was one of those uh one of the ones that unfortunately fell by the wayside due to that diamond uk diamond us uh snafu but I can assure you the copies are in your pull boxes ready to be picked up for this week on the 21st of July so I have no doubt we will be discussing Sinister War number one in a few weeks so cool that was Stephen's pick of the week then that was Amazing Spider-Man number 70. So. We'll kick things off as we always do with titles that we're looking forward to next new comic book day. Now, Keith and I had a little bit of a chat about this. Keith put forward this idea, which I think is definitely an, an improvement for this uh, part of the, the podcast. We're actually going to be talking about titles to look forward to the next new comic book day after recording. So, as stated, there will be releases on the 21st of July. So, these are the titles we're looking forward to most on the 21st. So, three picks as always each. Uh, I'll jump up first. The Definitely my pick of this week overall, not just of these three, but overall is Canto 3. So uh, this is uh, Canto 3, subtitled Lionhearted. So if Jean-Claude Van Damme shows up, I'll be very happy. (laughs) This is going to be a uh, six-issue miniseries. Original creators are back on board after the uh, the mini series we had recently, City of Giants. So, you've got David M. Boer writing and Drew Zucker on art. So, fan favourite Kanto continues The tiny clockwork knight in search of a heart has found his people's freedom and has saved them from the curse of the Shrouded Man. But is he ready to face his enemy on the battlefield? After making the ultimate sacrifice, Canto bears a weapon that should defeat the Shrouded Man and free all the inhabitants of the unnamed world. Now, he races to find a hidden settlement of his former slavers to enlist them. As allies in the coming war. That is if the Shroud of Man doesn't find them first. So that is Canto 3. Lan-hearted. Uh Number 2 up. And this is because of the a ridiculous cliffhanger at the end of issue 9. And of course it's a Tom Taylor joint when you talk good cliffhangers. So 7 Secrets number 10 will be this week as well. So Tom Taylor writing. Daniel Dinaculo on art. Uh, will Amon be able to capitalize on the Order's fragility destroy it once and for all? Still reeling from their losses, the keepers must come together for a momentous decision, one that will leave Casper at a difficult crossroads and, most importantly, I need resolution to that cliffhanger. And <laughs> my final one this week is, as I say, fully paid up member of the Cult of Tom and it is a Superman Woman of Tomorrow number two, so this is issue two of the eight-issue miniseries, Tom Keane on writing, and bill Evley on art. So after the shocking conclusion of last issue, Supergirl and her new friend Ruth find themselves stranded with no way to pursue Krem, the murderous Keane's agent. Each moment this fugitive roams free, the more beings become dangerously close to dying by his hand. There is no time to lose, our heroes must now travel across the universe the old-fashioned way by cosmic bus little do they know their journey will be a dark one filled with terrors that might that even the might of might the maid of might is prepared to face can carol lie low enough to ensure their safe passage so Supergirl, woman of tomorrow number two hitting this week as well, well what about yourself keith what are your three standards
1: uh for me uh on uh, next comic book day i'm looking forward to ram v and uh philip andretti's uh, many deaths of Layla star number four just the book that keeps on keeps on given uh, in issue four the mortal incarnation of death Layla star must confront the cruel nature of her role in the universe as she once again encounters the future creator of immortality who's drawing ever closer to his destiny Layla finds it increasingly difficult to divert the man from his path who this time recognizes her and what she is as he is now driven by grief from a terrible tragedy uh so that's the mini deaths of lila star number four um from image moon knight number one from marvel comics i've been looking forward to this one for a fair wee while Jed mckay writing in this alessandro capuccio on art uh, i am moon knight the mysterious mr knight has opened his midnight mission his people petitioning for protection from the weird and horrible the moon knight stalks the rooftops and alleys marked by his crescent moon tag bringing violence to any who would harm his people Mark Spector and whichever guys he dons is back in the streets, a renegade priest of an unworthy god. But while Conshu languishes in a prison that Moon Knight put him in, uh, Moon Knight must still observe his duty, protecting those who travel at night. Let it be known, Moon Knight will keep the faith. Uh, another exciting one that I'm looking forward to and want to cover as well. And lastly, from uh, Boom Studios, Dark Blood number one uh, from Latoya Morgan and Walt Barna. Uh, what if you were given the power to change the course of history? Alabama, 1955. Avery Aldridge is an ordinary young black man, a decorated World War II vet. Avery provides for his wife and daughter, but wounds of the past have a way of coming back, and Avery Aldridge will soon discover he is anything but ordinary. After a away and strange new abilities, Avery is about to come become more powerful than he could ever have dared to dream in a country and a society that never wanted him to have any power. A bold, evocative genre-bending saga by screenwriter LaToya Morgan uh, of AMC's Walking Dead and Into the Badlands. And rising star artist Walt Barna, The Osiris Path. Perfect for fans of Department of Truth and Bitter Root. Uh, Looking forward to that. What about yourself, Stephen? What three are you looking forward to next week?
2: The the first of three I chose was, sorry, Keith, Power Rangers number nine. I know you weren't a fan, but it's... uh, it's built into some good stuff. Uh, so, it's this issue is Jason versus Draken, the alternate dimension, Tommy Oliver. The Omega Rangers return to safe haven, but after Draken's recent actions, Jason has had enough, and the aftermath of their confrontation will shake the team to its very core. Big words, bit ominous. So, ominous. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, looking forward to that one. Uh, second, not sure if it's a title many people are reading. Homesick Pilots, number seven. I'm this on a- is, This is this. is everything you wanted—a comic book. You got 90s punk rock. You got haunted house mech robots. You've got the U.S. government decided that hold on a minute, we can try and weaponize this. It's you know, the second story arc. Everything's everything's moving in the right direction. Um, last up. As if we haven't plugged Infinite Destinies enough in this podcast, we got Thor Annual Number One, which uh, seems to be a a combination of writers on this issue. Jed McKay doing Infinite Fury. We've got Aaron Cooter, and we've also got Clay McLeod Chapman. Artist artwork from Juan Ferrera.
0: Do you like a bit of Juan Ferreira? Many
2: people, many people should recognise. But uh, so it's part five of Infinite Destinies. It's Thor versus Thor. Thor and the other leaders of the Ten Realms and uh, Hawkeye have gathered for a world tree celebration but the festivities come to an abrupt halt when a mysterious guest and his otherworldly powers crashes the party and his plus one is a dark twisted version of Thor who is determined to become the iron fisted ruler of all of the realms
0: cool so those are the titles we're looking forward to most uh for the 21st of july so that is going to do it for us this week so uh thank you as ever to our two guests this evening we have keith as always you know you can't have me without keith and then thank you for our guest uh our guest reviewer this evening as well steven so uh Thanks to you gentlemen, I am now off to go and cook some birthday dinner for a very special lady. So I will chat to you gentlemen soon. Thank you to all of everyone for listening and I uh, look forward to seeing you next time. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller.
1: You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a 0 Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at smithfield market in the center of belfast you can find coffee and heroes on facebook twitter and instagram
0: or email us at coffee at hotmail.com make sure to check out our
1: youtube channel as well the coffee and heroes podcast is available on spotify soundcloud apple podcasts and through all good podcast platforms please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us and until next time happy reading and hope
0: to see you in store